Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. I've missed you. I know I did a couple solo episodes around the holidays, but it has been quite a while since we've just had a conversation, the two of us. I'm so thankful for the past couple months. Uh, We had some excellent, amazing, intelligent guests on the show, doctors, health professionals, coaches, and I know I learned a ton and hopefully you did too. But selfishly, I miss these these solo episodes. I miss talking to you. I miss sharing with you what's going on. And so I'm really excited for the next uh, couple weeks where we can just sit and chat. I was trying to think how I wanted to open the show. I knew I had a funny story to share, something my family did. And for the life of me, I can't remember it. So... Uh, Hopefully over the next couple weeks, I'll remember it. The next time I will write it down first. So that way I can continue to share because I'm realizing if I do not write stuff down, it's as if it never happened. I don't know if you guys are are experiencing that too. I'm not sure if it's perimenopause. I'm not sure if it's because I'm getting older or just if my kids have sucked out any level of intelligence from me. I'm guessing it's a combination of all three, but um, definitely noticing a change. Hopefully you guys had a great holiday. I know I know we did. We were very intentional about slowing things down and keeping things quiet, and that's exactly what we did. And so now we're excited for the new year, new opportunities. I know I have a, a couple ideas of you know things I'd like to add to uh, our the services that we provide at Body Metrics. Um, we've done my nutrition coach. That is something that we've added a couple months ago and it's, it's amazing. It is so much fun. If you guys aren't a member of my nutrition coach yet, what are you waiting for? Um, it's free for the first 30 days. Come check it out. We do challenges. We do weekly live calls with nutrition education, We have recipes each week. We have a community page where we add some more accountability and um, support. It's just, it's a great thing to be a part of and really looking forward to the next uh, couple months. I've already mapped out what we're going to talk about. So it's been a lot of fun. Definitely uh, recommend you joining if you haven't already. January is an interesting month for us at Body Metrics. It's actually, if I'm being completely honest with you, it's actually our slowest month. Now, you may think that's interesting because January is, you know, New Year's resolutions and we know how popular it is to go on diets in January. Uh, But the reason I think we are at our slowest of the entire year is because people are very self-motivated. You know, when you have the momentum of the whole entire globe behind you saying, new year, new you, let's do this. Um, You've got so many different programs available and accessible. You've got so many diets and they've slashed their prices so you can join. You know, it's, 
it's easy to get swallowed up by the momentum of a new year, new hope, new promises. Um, I will say usually by February, things pick right back up again. Uh, because if you have not changed the way you think about food or about nutrition or about exercise, that momentum that you had the first couple weeks will dim. In fact, I believe it's called National Quitters Day is January 11th. This is uh, the day that's found to be the number one day of the year where people quit their New Year's resolutions. So we have all these great intentions January 1st through 10th, and by the 11th, we're done. If you have decided that you are looking to lose weight or change your health and have decided to try a diet, uh, I think this episode is going to be one you want to listen to because we're going to actually do a deep dive of is your diet helping or harming your relationship with food? I have a lot of clients that come in that are looking for help, um, maybe because they haven't had success in the past. Maybe they've never tried it before and they just don't know where to start. But I have too many clients that have destroyed their relationship with food because of past dieting behaviors. My number one goal when I see a client is to help build that trust back up. Build that trust with yourself. Diets do an amazing job at destroying trust. Well, clearly, you don't know what you should do. You don't know what you should eat. You don't know how much. So you need to pay me to tell you. And I'm here to tell you that you are actually the best person to make that call. You do not need somebody else to tell you what to do in every situation. That's not sustainable. That's not real life. My job is to empower you to be able to make decisions for the rest of your life in a way that feels consistent with who you are and who you want to be. So I think it's really important to reestablish trust. And how we do that is slowly. Just like when you are building trust with your in a relationship or with your kids or with a spouse or a partner or at work. Right? We give you little bits of responsibility and when you show that you can do that it builds trust and then the leash starts to lengthen you know I having this conversation with my kids right now about driving in the snow right like yeah I'm a good driver I'm like you don't have any experience to be a good driver not yet at least you've only been driving for six months it's going to take a little bit more time before we jump to driving in the snow. Let's start with, you know, driving in, I don't know, the driveway or a school parking lot. Show me that you can do that. And then that builds trust. And then we can start moving forward. Most of my clients that come to see me, they are not interested in losing weight and regaining it later. But if you don't have trust with yourself that you know what to do in situations, that is exactly what will happen. You may hit a number, but you will build it right back or you will gain it right back up again. And every time you do that, it takes a little bit of a chunk out of your trust fund, right? And all of a sudden I have clients that come to see me and they're like, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. I, I, I just tell me what to do. 
and they're so defeated and they're scared of food. They're scared of going out to eat. It causes so much panic. All they do is think about food all day long and it's tearing them up inside. And so today I'm going to help you. If you're thinking about doing a diet, these are 10 questions you want to ask yourself to know that, yes, if I'd follow this plan, it is actually going to help my relationship with food and build trust or, oh, okay, here are some red flags that I need to pay attention to, um, to decide if I want to continue moving forward or is it time to pivot and try something else? All right, so 10 questions you're going to ask yourself. Feel free to grab a sheet of paper and a pen to write these down because I I think they're pretty important. All right, question number one. Does your diet elevate one food and villainize others? Do you guys remember that popular book a couple, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Eat This, Not That? Right, it was basically a a pocketbook, a pocketbook like a purse, but a a book that you could fit in your purse. It was small, and basically there was a picture on the left that said "eat this" and a picture on the right that said "not that," and it was basically telling you do this, never do that, and if you follow this, you will be healthy or you will lose weight. The problem is when you start to elevate the status of a food or villainize another food, the food that you villainize will al- always become more exciting. You're going to want it more because you told yourself you can't have it. That is not a character flaw. That is just being a human being. When you tell yourself you can only eat certain foods and not others, it destroys your I don't want to say your ability, but your thought that you are able to handle yourself around certain foods. I can't be trusted. I can't have that in the house. You know, if I, if I have that, then if I see it, it's all over. I'll eat the whole thing. You don't trust yourself to be around it because it's so bad. You've told yourself it's so bad and now you've destroyed trust. All right. That does not help your relationship with food if you can't trust yourself around it. So a better question is, is does this diet promote balance, not only in nutritional value, but also in terms of price and accessibility and availability, convenience, taste, enjoyment? You know, we can sit here all day and talk about, you know, how great organic grass-fed meat is or eggs or any of those foods, and they are. Nobody's going to argue that it's better to eat food without chemicals and fertilizers and, and, and harmful ingredients in it. But if you do not have the accessibility to that food because either one, it's too expensive, or number two, your grocery store doesn't carry it, then what is, how is that list helpful? It's not. Now it just makes you feel bad that you can't you can't enjoy the foods and then, well, we get that all or nothing mentality. Well, if I can't do it, then I might as well just eat the junk food because why even bother? When you're following a plan, it should be accessible to you. It should be available to you. Um, it should, there should be convenience involved. This can't be this wish list that is impossible 
There's no longevity in that. So question number one is, does it elevate one food and villainize others? And does it promote balance in all areas, not just nutritional value? If you have to mortgage your home to be able to afford all of the foods, I'm going to counter that is not going to help you. You're most likely going to quit and it's most likely going to harm your relationship with food moving forward. Question number two. Does it tell you how much of a portion to eat? This one bothers me. I'm not going to lie. I do not think that your brain should be the one to determine, the organ in your body to determine how much to eat. I think your stomach should be the one to determine how much you eat. Because let's be honest, your stomach is the vessel that holds the food. Your brain does not. Your brain is in charge of hunger hormones, um, you know, and relaying messages to tell you that you're full, but it is not the vessel that has the capacity to hold food. So therefore, I don't think that we should tell our bodies how much to eat. I think our bodies should tell us how much to eat, but that is a skill. And for some of us, we have never learned that. For some of us, we've been dieting so long trying to follow the rules that we don't even know what hunger and fullness feels like in our body. How about we learn that? Let's be honest. There are days that you are going to have hungry days. Lots of things can impact that. Your activity level that day. Your hormones. How long it's been since your last meal. How much you've consumed at your last meal. Lots of different reasons why you may have a hungry day. Or there may be days where you're not so hungry. You just aren't. If you've ever had kids before and little kids, you know this to be true because it freaks us out as parents. Oh my gosh, they didn't eat lunch today. She's going to starve. She's going to fall off the growth curve. Whatever it is that you think in that moment. But really, the kid just had a not so hungry day. We know kids are amazing at being intuitive eaters. They're amazing at it. We know that we should eat more like kids, but yet we get in our own way with our brains and we try to tell our stomachs how much is appropriate. When you do that, I'm going to ask you a question. How's that working for you? In the beginning, when you're really motivated, you're like, okay, this is great. I'm just going to listen. But after a while, you're going to have one of those hungry days. And if you have already consumed your calories for the day and it has told you that you're not allowed to have any more, now what? Because let's be honest, it's not going to go over too well. You're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you're going to have to try to figure out how you're not going to eat when your body is really hungry. All right. Opposite is true as well. There are times where if you're trying to follow a certain calorie amount or a certain amount of points and you're not having a hungry day and all of a sudden you realize you have a surplus of points left over, nine times out of 10, what are you going to do? You're going to eat. Who knows when this is going to happen again? So I might as well take advantage and eat even though there's no part of your body that's telling you it's hungry. You're losing trust with yourself when you don't pay attention and you don't listen to how your body's communicating with you. The longer you do diets, the longer you follow other plans, the more you break down trust. The more you break down your relationship with food because you truly believe that you aren't capable of 
figuring it out. You need a, a fixed number of calories to be successful. And yes, it can bring short-term results, but it doesn't teach you anything in the process. All right. So question number two is, does it tell you how much to eat? Right. I'm a firm believer that we need to learn to listen to our body if we want to have a positive relationship with food and a positive relationship with us moving forward. All right. Question number three, does it reinforce losing a certain number of pounds in a short time frame? Like for example, follow this diet and you can lose 10 pounds in 30 days. All right. Let me tell you what my problem is with this. First of all, there are no guarantees. You could do everything right and not lose 10 pounds in 30 days. You could do everything wrong and lose 10 pounds in 30 days. Like everybody's body is different. So diets that make this claim are not making this claim based on truth or science. They are making it claim. They're, they're making the claim for clickbait. They're making the claim so that you, they're preying on your emotions is really what's happening. All right. Does the diet obsess over the number on the scale? Does it tell you to weigh in multiple times a day? Um, here's a great one. Does it tell you that you, um, you have to stay away from certain foods in, in fear of gaining weight? Or engaging in unhealthy behaviors in the name of health? Does it encourage over-exercising so that you can lose that 10 pounds in 30 days? You know, does it create fear around food? Because in order to hit this number, you have to do ridiculous things to be successful. Does it tell you to ignore your hunger throughout the day in order to reach a certain number of calories? So many diets out there will have you do unhealthy behaviors in the name of health. They'll tell you to restrict certain food groups, even if those food groups don't give you a problem. And again, every time you do something counterintuitive to who you are, who you are as a person and, and your belief system, it harms your relationship with food. So, you know, please beware of these empty promises that that are basically just trying to get you to click on their information because emotionally they're, they're, they're preying on that. But yet they're out there and they're going to always be out there. This is not going to go away. You are just going to become more aware so that you can do better moving forward. All right, question number four. Does it make you start all over if you mess up? One of the, probably the best examples I can teach you for this is Whole30. All right. I honestly, I don't have a problem with the Whole30 diet be, because, you know, it's just asking you, you know, do you have any food intolerances? If you've never checked, how do you know? I'm, I'm on board with that. How do you know if you've never challenged it before? What I'm not on board with, though, is the whole, if you mess up, just once, 
you went out to eat and you told them not to use this ingredient and they accidentally did it anyway and you ate it and you didn't know and now you have to start all over again. It doesn't matter if you were on day 28 or not. I have a problem with that. Would it have been better in terms of seeing results if you didn't have that? Sure. But things are going to happen. People, we're human. We're not robots. We can try to control as many variables as we can, but there has to be a place for grace and progress instead of perfection. And so if you are trying to follow a diet that tells you if you screw up one thing, just one time, you've got to start all over. How do you think that's going to impact you and your relationship with food? It's going to make you so fearful, so scared. First of all, you're probably not even going to have a variety of nutrients in your diet because you're just going to eat the same thing over and over again because that feels safe. But I want you to really think about this. You know, any diet that has very rigid food rules that offer no flexibility it's going to mess with you. Any diets that create a lot of guilt and shame for lack of self-control, I can't believe you messed this up. You know, you were supposed to do it this way and now you are imperfect. Now you are a mess up. You can't even be in our club anymore. You have to start all over if you want to get back in. That, that's not even kind. We wouldn't do that with any other area of our life. So why is that okay to do it with food? We have a condition in our country called orthorexia. Orthorexia is the um, seeking out only eating healthy foods. Not because you're trying to shrink your body. That's anorexia with holding food. But restricting food in the name of health. I'm not going to eat this because it's not healthy for me. I'm not going to eat this because it's not, you know, it's not organic. And in, in making those choices in the name of health, you start to restrict your diet so much that you end up losing weight like anorexia. Like that's a problem. We've never had that condition in our lives. That's a very new diagnosis, probably in the last 10, 15 years. We've done that. Because we've started, again, elevating other foods, some foods and villainizing others. And then we tell people when they mess up that they're the problem. You want to talk about harming your relationship with food, find a diet that tells you if you screw up, you're worthless and you can't be in the club anymore. That's a great way to do it. All right, question number six. Does it reinforce the thought, you ate it, now negate it? mentality. Have you ever seen those, those pages? And you know what, I'm going to be completely transparent here. I, in the beginning of my nutrition career, I was all about these forms, right? If you ate this piece of chocolate over Halloween, now you have to do 422 jumping jacks to get rid of it. You had this many calories. Now you have to burn these many calories, almost as if eating foods, foods that you like, foods that, you know, are enjoyable should be punished? Does it encourage a punishment or reward system versus just listening to your body and treating it well? Does it work the other way? If you, if you exercise for 45 minutes today, then you get a treat. Does it start to 
create a reward system for exercising? Or does it celebrate movement just because it feels good to move in our bodies and our minds? Again, you are a human being. It is your right as a human to fuel your body well with foods that feel good. Move your body in ways that feel good. Food and exercise are not rewards and punishments. We use them as such, but they should not be a reward or a punishment. It is your right as a human to make the best decision for you in that moment, period. Number seven. Wow, I feel like I'm kind of angry today, but I'm not. I just am passionate. So just clarifying in case it sounds like I'm coming across angry. All right, number seven. Does the diet leave you speaking negatively to yourself as a motivation to try harder? I'm going to make this one really easy. There is no room for negativity with, well, I should say this. There's no room for negativity for a healthy relationship with food to exist. The two cannot coexist. If you want to have a healthy relationship with your body, speaking negatively to it is not the way to get there. It's actually the opposite. If you want to start having a better relationship with your body, you need to be kind to it. In your words, how you speak to yourself. This one's hard because we think that negatively speaking to ourselves will be a form of motivation. You know, telling ourselves that, you know, we're fat, grabbing our stomachs in the mirror, um, calling ourselves lazy if we don't exercise. Here's a little bit of information. That's not motivating. That's actually demotivating. It makes us feel worse about ourselves and then we don't do the things that we want to do. So if your diet is promoting this negativity, it's going to be really hard for you to improve your relationship with food and your body. Find another plan. Number eight, does the diet isolate you from eating with others or being social? So one that I can think of for this, and you can tell it's not my favorite, um, is Optavia or Octavia or however the heck you pronounce it. I've heard it so many different ways. Um, with this diet, you have to follow, I guess it's their five fuelings, they call it. You know, you eat their prepared packaged foods. Um, and then I think maybe for dinner, you can do a lean and green meal. I think that's what they call it. Or, or maybe you just eat another fueling or a shake or something like that. The problem with these types of diets is they're forgetting that we are social creatures and that we most likely... Not all the time, but we live with other people. And food and meal times is a, an opportunity for us to connect with others. And if we are constantly eating foods different from the people around us, we lose a connection point. And let's be honest, right now we could use connection more than ever in our world. How many people are suffering from depression and anxiety because they feel isolated? I mean, we used to think that working from home was the best thing. And guess what? The trend is now reversing. People are coming back into the office. That isolation isn't working out so well anymore. 
Why do we want food to be another isolation point? How is that going to help our relationship with food if we're resentful that we can't even share a meal with our families? You know, let's not even think about the financial implications because it's expensive to pay for these plans um, while you're still paying for groceries for everybody else. I just don't see the sustainability in that. And there, again, there's resentment. Whenever there's resentment, there's usually rebellion follows. All right. And I'm realizing as I'm saying all this stuff, uh, if you haven't picked up on this yet, I'm pretty frugal, right? Like so much that my daughter, Charlie, the other, we were having a conversation and by conversation, read that as argument. And she is yelling at me and she's like, maybe if you weren't so cheap, we'd be able to do something. And I was like, Charlie, I can't believe you just said that. But that has stuck with me for like the past two weeks. So clearly she hit a nerve that I didn't know was there. And I'm starting to really evaluate my decisions. Like I know I'm frugal, but am I using money as the front runner for all my decisions? Maybe, you know, I'm just trying to be a good steward of my resources, knowing that I've got a lot of people that are going to want to go through college and a lot of people that want to eat and food's expensive right now, but Um, yeah, you know, if you have to socially isolate yourself or if you financially are under a burden in order to, to follow it, I'm going to say that's not, there's no long-term sustainability with that plan. All right. Number nine, does the diet make you, make it hard for you to stop eating? Does the diet make it hard for you to stop eating Basically, what I'm trying to say here is if the diet is too restrictive, it's too low in calories, your body and your brain are going to be wired to continue eating. Basically, if your body doesn't know if it's going to get calories later because you're withholding calories from it, it's going to drive you to overeat. You may feel compelled to eat now. Because your brain's like, well, we don't know if we're, you know, even going to get a decent meal later on in the day. So let's overeat now to, to compensate. Uh, I was talking to a lady this past week and she was telling me that she had a meal and she's like, I just, I don't understand. I was just so hungry afterwards. It was so hard for me to stop. And so I asked her what she ate and we looked at the content of the meal. It was only 200 calories. I'm like, that is not a meal. That's, that's a snack, maybe a large snack for some people, but a meal, let's be honest, is closer to 450, 500, 600 calories, depending on, you know, on who, who's eating it. But a 200 calorie meal is not dinner. It will never be dinner. No wonder you're hungry. No wonder you struggled to eat that volume because you were sold a lie. 200 calories is not dinner. By the way, 200 calories is not breakfast or lunch either. We need to make sure we're filling our body with nutrients and with enough calories to be sustainable, not restrict and then tell you, you know, look at you in confusion, like, I don't know what your problem is. Why didn't that fill you up? It would not have filled up a toddler. 
So if you're noticing that the diet plan you're following is leading you to be extremely hungry and angry and anxious and then binging later in the day, I'm going to give you a little secret. It's not the right plan. And every time you follow something that's not sustainable and then told it's your fault for not being able to follow it, it harms your relationship with food and your body and yourself. It doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work. The problem is you don't know what else to do because this is all you've ever known. And that's when you need to seek help from a professional that can walk you through this in a way that feels good to you, protects you now, and protects you later. All right, number 10. Does the diet ask you to radically change all of your routines and habits? Or does it fit your current lifestyle? Listen, I know that in order to get different results, you have to do things differently. Changes will have to be made. But if this plan that you're following asks you to completely upend your schedule radically change how you do things in the name of health, in the name of weight loss, chances are you're not going to be able to follow it long-term. It has to work for you. And we have to remember too, that we are in different seasons of our life. When my kids were little, especially when I had babies, I struggled to wake up early to work out. I was exhausted You know, I have twins as the last of my kids and feeding twins at night when they're up a lot, uh, I was sleeping every second possible in the morning before I had to get up to, you know, take the older kids and get them ready for the bus. It just wasn't possible. So when my kids were really young, I would exercise when they were awake. I would actually, this is, I don't know, good, bad, whatever you want to call it. But I used to put the kids on the sofa, not when they were babies. Of course, I didn't put them on the sofa, but when they were old enough, like the two, and they could all sit on the sofa, I would put a show on for them. And then I would run up and down the steps for like 10 or 15 minutes. And that was my workout for the day. And, and it wasn't many days of the week, maybe two or three. That's all I could give. Now that I'm older And my kids are pretty much self, well, no, they're not. Let's be honest. They don't get up, but they're capable of it. Now I can wake up earlier in the morning because I'm getting a full night's sleep. But to tell me that the only way I'm going to be successful is if I wake up an hour earlier in the morning and exercise before I go to work, that's, that's just, makes me angry. Now I am angry. (laughs) It's not sustainable for every person. Anytime that you're trying to follow a plan that tells you this is a one size fits all, I want you to hear sirens. I want you to to see red flags. Your plan should fit your lifestyle because guess what? You're going to be more successful. Your plan should support the way you want to live your life. Again, because you'll be more successful. Look for programs that honor you and your choices, again, of who you are and who you want to be. Not only will they promote a healthy relationship with yourself and food and your body, uh, but it will also be an opportunity for you to build trust with yourself. 
All right. So hopefully you can ask yourself those 10 questions and make the best decision for you. If you notice that the plan you're following does not support these 10 questions is actually moving you in the opposite direction, I want to personally invite you to come to Body Metrics and work with one of our dietitians. Because when we create programs and plans for our clients, we have these 10 questions in mind. We're not going to hurt you now or in the future. And we're also going to honor your autonomy with the hope of empowering you to make long-lasting decisions. If you don't live near us and um, you don't want to schedule an appointment, we do take all health insurances, by the way, most health insurances. Um, but if that's not an option, join my nutrition coach. Come with, meet with us once a week. Be part of a community that supports each other. Learn more of these uh, tips along the way. But um, let's start doing things instead of doing the same thing over, doing new things instead of doing the same things over and over again, and then being frustrated and feeling worse about ourselves, harming our relationships instead of helping. All right, it's time to get to your recipe of the week. Uh, so we are going to do a dark chocolate mousse. All right. Uh, let's see here. For this recipe, you're going to need four ounces of dark chocolate, one and a half cups of plain Greek yogurt, a quarter cup of cocoa powder, one tablespoon of honey, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, and an eighth of a teaspoon of sea salt. First thing you're going to do is create a double boiler. Uh, if you've never done that before, you want to take a pan, um, Fill it with halfway with hot water, put it on the stove, and then you can put a bowl, uh, we have metal bowls, um, on top of that pot that you're going to make boil and it's going to heat the pot. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the chocolate in the top bowl and we're going to melt it that way. All right. Sometimes if you put chocolate directly on a heat source and you just throw the chocolate in a pan and try to heat it that way, it will scorch the chocolate. So by making a double boiler, um, you're indirectly heating it through the steam of the boiling pot and then that warms the pan and then that allows you to melt the chocolate. So go ahead and melt your chocolate and then just set it off to the side. Let it cool slightly before you do the second step, which is throwing the melted chocolate along with the rest of the ingredients, the yogurt, cocoa powder, honey, vanilla extract, and sea salt. Throw that all in a bowl, and then you can use a hand mixer with the whisk attachment. And you're just going to whip all those ingredients together until it's smooth and creamy. Go ahead and place them into containers. This particular recipe serves three, so go ahead and split it up into thirds, into little bowls or little containers, and then place it in the fridge overnight or for at least eight hours before enjoying. Now, we have the dark chocolate, so we have the antioxidants from that. We do have a little bit of of sugar with the honey, but we are going to split that tablespoon three ways. So there's only about a teaspoon of sugar in each dessert, but you're also gaining about 15 grams of protein, 
which is going to help stabilize your blood sugars. And it's also going to add to that creaminess factor. So, um, here is, again, here's a great example of a recipe that allows for you to enjoy foods that you like chocolate in a way that's healthier for your body by adding protein, by reducing the amount of sugar. And it's going to let you feel like, okay, I'm a normal person. I don't have to avoid chocolate for the rest of my life. You've heard me say this once, and I'm going to continue to say it a gazillion times. I will never ask you to do something that I am not willing to do myself. And I like chocolate. I'm not willing to never eat chocolate again. I have no desire to follow through with that. So we find alternatives. We find things that are helpful that keep us engaged and in the game so we can have long-term success. I hope you have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.